Amen. Well, when I was a uh, freshman at the Atlanta Bible College, my grandfather, who is a huge reason why I'm a pastor today, uh, he was dying. So I, I was down at the Bible College. He, uh, him and the rest of my family were up in Michigan. So I flew home uh, and went straight to the hospice in the middle of the school year uh, where my grandpa was and a lot of our family. And it was uh, quite late into the night. It was a very last-minute flight because he uh, got worse very rapidly there at the end. Um, so I walked into the room where he was at the hospice, and I sat by uh, my grandpa's bedside and held his hand. And I remember uh, very vividly, like it was just yesterday, uh, sitting there by his bedside holding his hand, my, gr- my grandpa labored to tell me, I love you, Kyle. Um, they were very touching words for me. These were the last words that uh, a huge role model in my life said to me uh, as he fell asleep in, in death the following morning. They were some of the last words that he spoke, period, as his strength was failing and wasn't able to talk in the morning. I was distraught by the whole situation, uh, losing a loved one, as um, most of us, not all of us, are aware of, uh, of that, the, the intense emotions, the, the heartbreak of losing a loved one in your life. Um, so I was distraught by the whole situation, but I was so glad I was able to make it in time to hear those last words. And many of you probably have a very, very similar story of a loved one dying and saying something special to you before you die, and you just hold on to those words. Because last words have so much power in our life. They they can leave quite the impression on us in our lives. They can hold, uh, last words can hold a tremendous amount of power, whether they be the last words of a loved one, whether they be the last words of a book that you read or a movie that you watch. Um, I found some endearing last words from different movies, whether they are the last words of the movie or the last words of a character before they die. So place yourselves uh, in in that position on the couch watching uh, on uh, the television. You're watching uh, the Titanic, and as Jack is freezing to death in the ocean, and his lover Rose is laying on this big uh, chunk of wood by herself, uh, his his last words were, promise me, Rose, and never let go of that promise. Or think uh, of The Wizard of Oz. I've not seen this movie in ages, but apparently I loved it as a kid and watched it all of the time. At the end of the movie, Dorothy says, Auntie M, there's no place like home. Precious. Ferris Bueller's day off at the end of the movie, Ferris Bueller is reflecting and he says, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you might miss it. Uh, so, so true there. Uh, wise words from Ferris Bueller as he took that day off from school. Or maybe uh, you're more into Braveheart as William Wallace is being executed. His last words, as, uh, his last word as he cried out was, freedom! Or E.T. as E.T. an alien is preparing to leave planet Earth after establishing a beloved relationship with little boy Elliot. E.T. tells him, I'll be right here. Precious words as he leaves Precious Elliot. Or maybe you're a fan of Marvel and you think of Iron Man. At the end of the movie Iron Man, Tony Stark stands at the press conference and he tells the world, the truth is 
I am Iron Man. And an epic ending there, or, or probably the most endearing one for me, Toy Story 3. Uh, Andy uh, drops off his beloved childhood toys to a little girl named Bonnie to keep. And, uh, oh man, it, it gets you in the heart. As Woody watches Andy drive off, Woody says, so long, partner. <laughs> oh. Oh, my heart. Oh, my heart. The last words of movies, uh, books, of loved ones, they, they can truly have a lasting effect on us. And today, we get to see the last words that Paul wrote to the church at Rome as we are finishing up our series on the book of Romans today. This has been by far our longest sermon series that we have done together as a church. And it's been a, a very pleasant experience for me to, to take a look at, at this book verse by verse uh, with you all in one of the longest books of the New Testament. There is an extremely uh, large amount of information to decipher and digest in these 16 chapters. Truth be told, uh, some of you guys may think we went at, at a... a slow pace. But truth be told, we went at quite a fast pace and we had to really just gloss over a ton of information for time's sake throughout this letter. But I've thoroughly enjoyed this opportunity to take a look at, at one of my favorite books uh, of the Bible, Romans, as Paul wrote this letter to the church at Rome. As Paul, uh, in his letter, he, he illustrated that he wanted to go to the city of Rome uh, to be with them in person. He wanted to share the gospel message with them. But in the meantime, he was going to write a letter presenting this gospel message. And so starting in chapter 15, what we read uh, last week, we could see Paul start to wrap up his letter as he talks about his desire of, of hopefully soon wanting to head over to Rome. And then at the start of, of chapter 16, last week we started chapter 16, and we saw Paul sent his greetings to a handful of different people, um, a lot of people that, that we have uh, close to no information on. Uh, you know, uh, it, it really felt like the end. Paul, it felt like Paul was concluding his letter. I think of like oftentimes when you hang out uh, with a group of friends and maybe your spouse isn't there or other members of your family and someone will say, oh, hey, uh, say hi to so-and-so. And that's like uh, your farewell as you go back to your home, you spend time with your family. They, they want you to send greetings uh, to uh, other, other people. And we, we see that take place all of the time. People tell me all the time, oh, hey, say hi to Jamie. And that's what we say as we prepare to leave and end our conversation. And so it felt like very much Paul was ending this conversation after this long list of personal greetings that he wanted to greet as this letter would make its way to the church at Rome. But Paul was having issues stopping the letter there. There are some words on his heart, evidently, that he wanted to share with the church at Rome after these personal greetings to the, these different members of the church. So the question is, what, what are these important last words that Paul writes to them? And this morning, we, we get to take a look at that. What, what, what were the last words that Paul wanted to share with the church at Rome as he was concluding this letter? And so we see it, we, we pick up here this morning in Romans chapter 16, starting in verse 17. And Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such, per, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. 
And so part of Paul's last words to the church is to send a warning about two different kinds of people. These two different kinds of people are those who cause divisions and those who create obstacles contrary to the doctrine. Or in other words, uh, those who create obstacles or stumbling blocks to the faith in God and Christ Jesus. And so of all of the harmful characteristics that that are harmful to the church uh, and Christian fellowship, these are the two that he highlights within his last words to the church. And so what are we to do with these two different types of people, those uh, who uh, cause divisions and those who uh, create obstacles contrary to our faith, contrary to our doctrine? Well, Paul says to avoid them. Paul says that, that these are people who, who don't serve our Lord Christ, but in fact, they serve their own appetites. You know, this has been uh, such a common theme amongst these last handful of chapters in Romans. If, you re- if we remember, Paul kind of uh, splits up the, the book of Romans into three different sections. The first section of the first couple chapters, he's dealing all about our sin and our need uh, of salvation, our need of a savior. Part two, the most lengthy part of this letter, Paul talked all about God's plan of salvation for us because we have sin and, be, and because the, the consequences of that sin is death. And Paul looked at, at this uh, plan of salvation from many different angles. And the last uh, part uh, of this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome was more of the practical application. How do we live as a Christian? How do we live as someone who, who lives by faith? What does that look like? What does that look like within a church setting? And I've really not noticed it uh, until going through this series and taking a verse-by-verse approach to the letter of Romans. But so much of Paul's emphasis in this section was about the unity of the church. Paul says in Romans 12, 4, he says that we are one body. There's many members of this, this body, but we are one body. In 12, 16, Paul says to live in harmony with one another. In 14.1, Paul says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. In 14.19, Paul says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. In 15.5 and 6, Paul says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that or so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, so much throughout this practical application of how to live as a Christian, how to live cohesively as a church, Paul's been talking about the unity of the church. And so Paul says here in some of his last words, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Avoid these people. Um, In regards to creating obstacles and stumbling blocks, I love the words of Jesus in Matthew 18, 6, where Jesus says, but whoever causes one of these little ones uh, who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. I love that because it shows the passion and the fire of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't mess with his sheep. If you do, it would be better for you if you had a large millstone tied around your neck and cast off into the sea. You know, Jesus, we, we focus on, on so much the love, but, but Jesus was such a beautiful blend of love, of peace, and power. Jesus was a powerful man with a powerful message. 
And so here Paul says to avoid these types of people, those who cause divisions and those who create obstacles contrary to the doctrine or contrary to our faith as Christians, contrary to the message that Paul has been preaching, that, that Paul has been sharing throughout this letter. So Paul says in, in verse 19, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so Paul, as he's writing this letter to the church at Rome, getting ready uh, to, to wrap up this letter, he commends the church at Rome for being obedient. Uh, I believe it was in chapter 15, uh, Paul told them, you know, sometimes I had to be bold with you and sharing this message with them because there are some things that the church at Rome, they weren't living up to. But Paul here, near the end, he says, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. The Paul is saying, good job. Well done, church at Rome. Your obedience is known to all. It's known to all that the church at Rome is effectively shining as a light in a world of darkness. Praise God. Let that ring true for us here at North Hills as well. Let people see us and know that, hey, there's something different about this person. There's something different about this group of people. Apparently, the people at Rome, the, the people that Paul was in contact with, everyone knew it. They all knew it, that they were obedient. They were different. They were a light in the midst of a world full of darkness. Let that ring true for us here at North Hills as well. As well. So Paul says as well, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as, as to what is evil. And man, let me tell you, it is becoming harder and harder each and every day in our society to remain innocent as to what is evil. With the click of a button, with uh, the, the touch of a screen, you have access to so much evil in this world. You must protect your eyes. You must protect your ears, protect your mind, and protect your heart. Be innocent as to what is evil. And if you just go along your day without this being a focus of your life, I'm telling you, you will not be innocent as to what is evil. Because we, we see all this coming at our way 100 miles per hour. And so we have to be cognizant about remaining innocent to what is evil. So hard to do in a world that, that is so connected through the internet. But we have to remain innocent as to what is evil. And then finally, in, in verse 20, Paul says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. <laughs> I like that. A bit of an oxymoron there. The God of peace is going to crush Satan. I've done that a couple of times. And, and pretty much every time they would crush the head of Satan, I, I get a, a couple of heads uh, that pop up. Uh, and, and actually, it says the God of peace will, will crush uh, the head uh, of Satan. But actually... God has given that, that authority. God has given that responsibility over to his son, Christ Jesus. Um, and, and so Jesus doing this, crushing the head of Satan, he is representing God. Jesus doing this on behalf of God. This is actually the first promise of the Messiah. 
It's the first promise that we have of God's chosen one. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3 and you see the fall of mankind, the fall of Adam and Eve and sin introduced in the world, and with sin came a curse. And so God cursed Adam, he cursed Eve, and he cursed the serpent, who was later identified as Satan in the book of Revelation. And so God cursed Satan. He cursed the serpent, the, the, the serpent and uh, he, he said that the offspring of the woman will bruise or crush his head. We later find out that the offspring is Jesus of Nazareth. It's Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one who is going to crush the head of Satan on behalf of God, this God of peace. And in order to restore peace, God needed to crush this head of Satan. And so Paul continues verse 21, and he says, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother, uh, Quartus, greets you as well. And so at the beginning of chapter 16, Paul wanted to send greetings to a number of different people. We read through that list last week. Well, here, Paul is including a handful of people with him who want to greet this church at Rome as well. First one uh, that he mentions there is Timothy. Timothy was Paul's right-hand man. Paul uh, would, would go on and he wrote two letters to Timothy. Timothy traveled with Paul. Paul was able to disciple and mentor the younger Timothy. Paul uh, placed Timothy under his wing and, and helped uh, disciple him and mentor him to become a great apostle of Christ Jesus, where Timothy was sent to do great and mighty works for the church. And everyone should have a Paul in their life. Everyone should have a mentor in their life. And you all should, should have a Timothy as well. You should have someone to mentor as well. We, we, we need both sides of that relationship. And then Paul lists a, a handful of other people who want to send greetings to this church at Rome as well. A number of different commentaries uh, speculate about uh, who the other people might be. Uh, we're not going to take uh, the time this morning to speculate who they might be. If you're interested, the information is out there on the internet uh, through various uh, commentaries. But what we do know about these different people mentioned is that they are part of Paul's team. Paul did a ton of great work for the early church through his writings and travel. And Paul was able to accomplish so much for God's church, partly because he had a team around him. Tertius, uh, for example, verse 22, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greets you in the Lord. Uh, Tertius uh, was the one who actually put pen to paper or pen to scroll. As some believe uh, that Paul had issues with his eyesight. Um, and, and so Paul would, would verbally dictate to Tertius what to write because it's written through the perspective of Paul. So we know the, these are words of Paul. Um, and, and so he, he probably uh, verbally dictated straight to Tertius. And Tertius then was able to, to write it on a scroll. Uh, so Tertius, an example of someone who was on this team of Paul so that Paul could do many and great wonders for this church at Rome. And so Paul, he had his supporting cast. He had his team around him that wanted to send greetings to the church at Rome as well. And we too, we need a team around us like Paul had. And you shouldn't put the weight of your team on the shoulders of one person. That, that, that's not a wise decision. 
This is a point that I remember uh, from uh, Jenny Allen talks about in her book, Find Your People, a book I know a handful of you guys have read. Uh, she talks about different people filling different roles that you need in your life. Uh, you need an encourager or a cheerleader. You need someone who will challenge you and spur you on. You need someone uh, who will work along, alongside you, shoulder to shoulder. You need someone who you can decompress with and simply have a good time with. And, and the list goes on and on. And too many people try and fill all these roles and they try Try and throw them on the shoulders of one person. For a lot of people, that may be their spouse. Your spouse cannot bear that burden for you. You need a team around you. You, you need others around you that can lift you up, that can work alongside you, that, that can cheer you on as you go, just like Paul had. I'm convinced Paul would not have been able to accomplish as many great wonders if he did not have Timothy or Lucius or Jason or Tertius or Gaius or Erastus or Cortus around him. This was his team that helped him accomplish so much. And so build a team around you to help support the work that you are doing for God and his kingdom. And if we were uh, to continue along here, uh, and many of you guys, if you're reading uh, in your Bibles, you'll see that it jumps from verse 23 to verse 25. Most of your uh, translations that you're reading from probably don't include verse 24. Verse 24 reads, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. It's worth pointing out that the New Testament that we read today is an English translation of many different manuscripts, uh, Greek manuscripts. There, there are over 5,000 different New Testament manuscripts that, that our translators work hard to, to uh, pull from to, to come away with what we read today. And so it's a simple truth that, that some manuscripts included verse 24 and some manuscripts did not include uh, verse 24. And so it's, so it's up to the, to the discretion of our uh, translators to decide whether or not to include verse 24. And most of the translations that I've seen uh, do, do not include verse 24, uh, worthy of being pointed out there. And so if we continue along the last three verses of the letter of Romans, Paul writes in verse 25, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Can I get an amen, church? Amen. amen. So finally, Paul ends his letter with words of praise for a heavenly father, where God has revealed his great plan to all people through his son, Christ Jesus. And it's been his plan from the start. If we remember uh, from the first part of chapter 15, Paul quoted five different passages from the Old Testament to, to show that it was God's plan all along to include all of mankind into his plan of salvation. But it was through Jesus that this plan was revealed to all nations. And because of this, because of this great plan of God that God revealed to us through his son, Christ Jesus, we give praise and glory to the only wise God. We give him glory through Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Can I get an amen, church? Amen. amen. We praise the, the mighty and precious name of God. And so there we have it. That is the book of Romans. We did it. A sense of accomplishment there, going verse by verse together as a church. Read every word, every letter of this letter that, that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. It's the, it's the gospel message that we are able to read nearly 2,000 years after Paul wrote this for the church at Rome. There is no other collection of books like what we read in the Bible and God's word. And this letter that Paul wrote, this letter of Romans, it truly is the foundation of our faith. Our faith that Paul has outlined, that number one, we have sin. We have sin. We all have sin in our life. And the consequences of that sin is death. You and I, we deserve death. Nothing more, nothing less. We deserve death because we have sin in our life. And because of this sin in our life, we need saved. We need a savior bad. But Paul is outlined in this foundation of faith in a second uh, stage of this letter. His outline that God has a plan of salvation for us. His plan of salvation and his plan of deliverance, of saving us from our sin and a consequence of sin, revolves around Christ Jesus. And Paul very clearly expresses that all we need to do is to put our faith in God and his son, Christ Jesus. The type of faith that makes your Sunday look drastically different from people who do not have faith. The type of faith that, that makes your Monday look drastically different from people who don't have faith. It is a living faith in which you can accept God's plan of salvation for you. So simply put your faith in God and his son Jesus. And Paul outlines in this letter, that this letter presenting the gospel message that you will be saved. Not maybe, not should, not could, but you will be saved no questions asked. And then finally, what does that faith look like? What does a life of faith look like? What does it look like to be a Christian? And Paul outlined what that sort of faith looks like in chapters 12 through 16. And so this is what we believe as Christians. This is what we believe as the church. I wanted to, uh, to be able to spend more time summarizing uh, these 16 chapters as we spent 25 weeks on this one letter, that this rather lengthy letter. We, we, unfortunately, we don't have enough time to do a more extensive uh, summary. Instead, I printed off little cards. If Evelyn and Leah, you could hand out uh, those cards. I printed off uh, little cards of six key verses from the book of Romans. And these six verses do, do a pretty good job uh, of summing up what Paul had to say in his letter. And so as you receive these letters, I encourage you, or these cards, I encourage you uh, to put them in your Bibles, put them on your nightstand, uh, by your bed, uh, put them, post them on your mirror, whatever it may be. But let this serve as a visual reminder of what this letter of Romans is about. And I encourage you and challenge you to put forth the effort 
of internalizing these six verses, internalizing this gospel message. And so that when, you are th- uh, when you're thrown into the thick of it, you're able to rely on these words that you're able to store into your heart. And so that first uh, verse there in Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Don't be ashamed of the gospel message. This gospel message is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, not just the Jews. It's to the Jew first and also to the Greek, also to you and I. The power of God for salvation. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You and I, the, the, the rest of mankind, we all have this similarity that we all have sin and we all have fallen short of the glory of God. But Romans 5.8, Paul writes, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So even though we had sin in our life, even though we were enemies of God, God showed his love, love for us and that we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so because of this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We have what we deserve. We deserve death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, Lord. Why? Well, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then finally, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so as we live out this faith, do not be conformed to this world, because this world is not living a life of faith. And so we need to stick out like a sore thumb. We need to stick out like a lamp in the middle of a dark room. We need to be the light of the world. So do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And through these verses, we have a pretty good picture of this gospel message that Paul has presented to the church at Rome And thank goodness, nearly 2,000 years later, we have access to the word of God here. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for the words of Paul, these words that you have divinely inspired. Father, I thank you for this plan of salvation that you have for us the sinners around your son. Father, it's my hope, it's my prayer that each and every one of us here, we put our faith in you 
and we put our faith in your son, Christ Jesus. And Father, I pray that our faith shines as bright as can be in a world full of darkness. And so, Father, I just ask that you work in and through this church as we seek to be a church that lives by faith. We love you. We love your son. It's in his precious and holy and powerful and authoritative name that we pray. Amen.